Amen. You may be seated. Turn to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 22. We continue our exposition of the Gospel of Luke. Usually comes on Sunday evenings, but once a month we swap those times of preaching, and I preach in the morning, so we're going to continue with Luke this morning, chapter 22, and just a short section, 31 through 34. It's here now, God's Word. Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. This is the Word of God. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words, though they are searching words. Words that expose our heart as they expose the heart of Peter. Solemn words that show us the danger we are in. And yet glorious words that show us the abundant grace and power of our risen Savior. Oh Lord, bless us this morning and use your word to prepare us to live our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it would not surprise me this morning if there were many people in this place who have experienced the blessing of having people pray for you. Sometimes there might be a particularly difficult trial that you are going through, or there may be some important meeting coming up that you've got to to deal with, and you ask for people to guide you or to pray for you that the Lord would guide you. There may be some surgical procedure that you're about to go through, and you plead with people to pray that things will go well could be any number of special needs in your life, and you've asked people to pray. I can still remember very well that unique feeling when I went in for surgery for cancer in the year 2000, and we counted up the people that we had contacted and had emailed and sent cards and notes that they were praying. And if I remember correctly, I think it was 22 countries around the world where people and churches were praying for me. Brethren, I can tell you that has a t- profound impact. 
It gives you a sense of comfort and encouragement to know that people, faithful friends, godly church members, or family members are standing before the throne of grace pleading for you and for your particular needs, that Christ would bestow a fresh supply of his grace upon you in that situation. And when we know that people are praying for us or have prayed for us, and especially when the Lord answers in a favorable way and blesses those prayers, we frequently stop if we can contact them and thank them for praying in that particular situation for us. But here's what I want you to think about this morning. Do you know, do you understand that Christ also is praying for you? I think for many of us who know the scriptures, we know instinctively that that is true But we are told time and time again by Christ himself, by the apostles, by others, that Christ is praying for us. And when is the last time that knowing that, you stop to thank him for his prayers for you? Well, our text this morning sets before us something that perhaps many of us have not thought about very much in a long time. And it is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is interceding for us every day. And it's not just that. But here in the Gospel of Luke, and as it is in John 17, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we get a a clear picture of what it is that Jesus is praying for when he prays for us. There are numerous texts we could turn to in the scriptures that speak of this intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, but none of them more clear than Hebrews 7 and verse 25, where the writer says that our great high priest, Jesus, ever lives to make intercession for us. That this great high priest, as the writer says, is able to save to the uttermost. There's no limit. There's no one he cannot reach. There is no one that once he reaches will ever perish. Because when he saves, he saves to the uttermost. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for us. I want us to take a few moments this morning to think more deeply about this matter of the intercession of Christ for his people. 
I want us to look at three particulars. Number one, why? Why do we need the intercession of Christ? Number two, what? What do we receive as a result of the intercession of Christ? And number three, how? How should we respond? When we hear, when we come to understand that Christ is interceding for us and our needs, how do we respond to that? Well, first of all, let's look at why we need the intercession of Christ. Luke, of course, is the only gospel writer that records and recounts this particular exchange between Jesus and Peter. I think it is safe to say that the disciples are still in the upper room. They've gone to that upper room to celebrate the Passover. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. They are still in that upper room, and they have finished eating both the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And now they are about to get up and leave and go out to the Garden of Gethsemane one last time before Jesus is arrested judged and convicted and crucified. At that moment, Jesus suddenly looks Peter in the eye and says these sobering words, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. My friends, don't pass over these words lightly because they, they are given, they are sobering words and they are a solemn reminder of the perennial danger that you and I are in every day. It's so easy for us to get consumed by studies and and work and labors and activities and family and, and fun and all the other things that we do in this life. And we forget what's going on in the spiritual dimension. One of the things that's going on is Satan is constantly working. Satan is constantly looking for opportunities to try to lure you out of the paths of righteousness with temptation. He is seeking, he is looking for opportunities to distract you or disturb you with affliction. To get your mind off the glories of Christ and the joys of eternal life. And to be consumed with the struggles and the pain and the suffering that you're dealing with. He wants to trouble He wants to fill us with anxiety and fear. He wants to frighten us with his constant assaults. 
Let me ask you right now, how many of you are going through a difficult situation? How many of you are are wrestling and struggling and and filled perhaps with doubts or, or anxiety about different things that you're facing? My friends, it's not just part of life in this world. Satan is constantly at work. Don't forget that spiritual dimension. Satan wants to destroy you. And our Savior's words here are very vivid. As he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Have any of you ever sifted wheat? Do you know what that process entails? Grains, the heads of of grain were picked and they were placed in a large basket with a tightly woven bottom and they would toss it up in the air and they would shake it back and forth and sometimes they would beat it against the bottom of the sieve until the grain of wheat broke loose from the chaff and from the shafts. The wheat would then fall down through the sieve and remember how The psalmist speaks in Psalm 1, the wicked are not so, they are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Because what happens after the the grain has been shaken and tossed and, and thrashed, the chaff is tossed into the air and the wind blows it off the threshing floor. My friends, the point of the illustration that Jesus uses to describe what's going on is to describe the violent action of Satan. He wants to sift you like wheat. But don't think it's just Peter. Because Peter was such an influential apostle that that Satan zeroed in on him. Remember how this chapter opens? How Satan enters into the heart of Judas, leading to the betrayal of Christ into the hands of the priests and the scribes. Remember how Satan comes into the life of this man and leads him to utter despair so that in the end he takes his own life. It's not just Peter, it's Judas. Or think of Job. In the opening chapter of Job, where we have this description of this righteous man, the most righteous man in all the East, which was probably the known world at the time. And this righteous man, Satan, comes before God and says, I want to sift him like wheat. I want to bring upon him severe affliction beyond all description. And do you know why Satan wants to do that? He has one purpose, to make this righteous man give up on God. 
to deny God, to turn from God. So it was with Judas. So it was with, with Job. So it was with Peter. But we can go one step farther and bring this really close to home. Because Scripture, in various places, speaks of similar actions regarding every believer, regarding the saints, the churches, throughout the Bible. When you think of Peter writing about Satan being like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. When you think about Paul writing to Ephesus and saying we are, we are not wrestling with flesh and blood but with principalities and powers, with spiritual rulers of darkness in high places. Brethren, we are all subject to this Thrashing to this sifting like wheat. Every one of us who truly love God and desire to serve Christ faithfully, you at that moment become a special target of the devil himself. And he will do everything in his power. To bring you down. Now with such an adversary. Constantly at work. How is it that you and I. Mere frail poor creatures of dust. Can ever hope to survive. Why is it that we are not utterly crushed and defeated and destroyed when the rulers of darkness come and thrash us and sift us and shake us like wheat? How can we hope to survive? Well, the good thing is there's only one answer. And that answer is given here In verse 32, but I have prayed for you. My friends, we do not stand because we are strong. We do not stand because we're so wise that we wouldn't ever be deceived by the wiles of the devil. We stand because of one thing. Because Christ prays for us. Whatever struggle, whatever problems, whatever difficulties threaten to undo us, we will not fail because Christ prays for us. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, young people, children, we need the prayers of Christ because only he has the power to sustain us against such a foe. Well, secondly, what exactly do we receive from the intercession of Christ? Now, there's all kinds of things that may be coming to your mind when you think about that. Obviously, we receive like 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, remember what happens? Paul is, is highly exalted because of manifold revelations of the will of God and, and the inspired word of Scripture. And what happens? A messenger of Satan is sent to buffet him, to beat him black and blue. And what happens? He prays. And he receives grace, all-sufficient grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness I am strong. So we receive grace. We receive wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him pray. Let him ask of God. Solomon The wisest man apart from the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for an understanding heart. And you remember that telling situation where the two women came and said, they both said, this is my son. And Solomon had prayed for wisdom and God gave it to him. He said, bring me a sword. Cut the child in half and give one to each, one half to each woman. And the mother of the child said, no, no, give the child to the other woman. Don't kill the child. And and Solomon says, that's the mother. We receive grace. We receive wisdom. We receive many other gifts and graces from God in these difficult times through the prayers of Christ. But verse 32 focuses upon one thing. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. It's very important, my friends, that you see and realize exactly what Christ is saying. He does not say, I prayed for you that you will not be tested. I've prayed for you that you will escape all this suffering or affliction that it's about to come. I'm going to put a shield around you and no one's going to be able to touch you. No, he prays that in the trial and during the test that his faith will not fail. Now, brothers and sisters, sometimes, as many of you know, God chooses to allow Satan. He gives Satan permission to shake us and to sift us. Sometimes he allows, as he did these, all of these disciples that night, their courage failed. They all forsook the Lord and fled for their lives. Their commitment to Christ, their loyalty to Christ, their honor for God, all failed. But not their faith. Weak, frail, broken disciples. But they still put their faith in Christ. You and I will be tested. We have a foe that is ever seeking to ensnare us. 
an enemy of great power who is seeking to destroy us. And you and I, brothers and sisters, you and I are going to stumble. And we are going to fall. But our faith will never fail. If we have true faith, if we're truly trusting in Christ as our Redeemer, as our Savior, as our acceptance before the the God and Father of Jesus Christ, if we have true faith, that faith will not fail. Satan, no matter what he does, will not prevail against us. And you know why? Again, the text spells it out for us. It is simply because Christ Jesus prays for us that our faith will not fail. Our great high priest, my friends, ever lives. He can save to the uttermost because he is the eternal God. And he is exalted on high. And he saves to the uttermost because he ever lives to make intercession for us. And his will shall be accomplished. Remember how the Apostle John speaks of this. When he writes in 1 John in chapter 2 in verse 1, and he says, My little children, I write to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, what do we do? Do we try harder? Do we give more money? Do we work more? He says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our righteousness. He is our standing before God. And this advocate that John wrote about has now been exalted far above every name that can be named. Far above every principality and power in earth, on heaven, or in heaven and under the earth. In all places, this advocate has been exalted. And that advocate, with all power now residing in his hand, he prays for you and for me that our faith will not fail. We stand. We are able to... to Be confident because he prays for us. Not that we won't be tempted. Not that we won't be tested. But that our faith will not fail. There's more. (laughs) Because not only does Christ pray for us that our faith will not fail... But he is so powerful, he is able to use even our failures 
for good. I don't know about you, but just thinking about that, I shake my head. How can you do that? But that is exactly what our Savior does. Notice what he says to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have turned again, when you have returned to me after your fall, strengthen your brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to take even the dreadful fall of the apostle Peter three times in a short period of space. Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus Christ was. I think that's a pretty serious fall. But Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to use even your failure to bring about good. I'm going to cause you to strengthen your brethren. Is it not interesting? Who writes to us about Satan being like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour? Peter. Not because some cloud of revelation came upon him because he experienced it firsthand. He knew the destructive power of Satan, but he knew even more the glorious restoring grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was able to strengthen the other disciples. He is able to strengthen us. God's grace and power is able to bring good even out of evil. Is not this exactly what Joseph told his brothers? You meant it for evil against me. And it was evil. They beat their brother, they threw him in a pit, they sold him as a slave, and then they lied about it to their father. And for years... They hid that fact. And Joseph is able to say at the end, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There are going to be many situations in your own individual lives where all you can see and all you can feel is evil. How could any good possibly come out of this situation? My friends, listen to the word of God. We might fall. We might fail. But God is able to bring good even out of evil. He prays for us. And he will use even our failures to be a help and a strength to other believers going through similar trials. Well, lastly, how should we respond to the intercession of Christ? You know, Peter has many good qualities, and we can learn a great deal for him from him. But do not follow Peter's example here, because what he provides for us is not a good example. 
When you look at verse 33, he responds to this news by saying, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. My friends, Peter, even after hearing these words, is filled with self-confidence and pride. After hearing Satan's intention to sift him like wheat, Peter boasts to the Lord, Oh, I, that's okay. Don't worry about that. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to prison if need be. I'm ready to die with you, Lord, if that is what I am called to do. It's almost as if Peter is saying, Oh, I understand. But don't worry about me. I can handle Satan. I know years ago, I think I told told this congregation about a a cousin that came to visit us from Maine down in South Carolina. And I was talking to the young woman. She and her husband were traveling throughout the United States in a Winnebago. And I was talking to her and I said something about Satan Uh, afflicting us or tempting us. And she very boldly says, oh, I don't worry about him. I've got power over him. Well, you can probably imagine the background that they were coming out of. And I remember thinking at that moment, woman, you are setting yourself up for a hard and brutal fall. Within a year, she and her husband were divorced, and they both walked away from the church. My friends, Peter is saying, I've got this. I can handle this. And the words of Christ that follow show just how little of Peter's own heart that he knew Now, you and I might never be so bold as to talk like this. Oh, I'm not concerned about about Satan. I can handle him. I'm, I'm ready to do whatever I am asked to do for the Lord. We might not say those words. But listen, every time... We start the day without calling on the name of the Lord to help us, to give us strength, to give us grace, to to guide us and keep us by his hand. Every time we seek to go about our daily lives without entrusting ourselves into the hands of the Lord and into his grace, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. The better choice for us is to recognize, number one, always be mindful of the strength of your enemy. Always be mindful of the strength 
of your enemy. My friends, when we leave here, when we begin a new week, we are like David facing Goliath. We don't have the strength in ourselves. Every day, we need to call upon the Lord to be our strength and our shield. Think of how Scripture describes the devil, the prince of darkness, the rulers of spiritual evil. It speaks of him as as being the roaring lion, a serpent. Would you carelessly handle a rattlesnake? Most likely not. It calls him a dragon. Would any of you go out against a dragon, a fire-breathing dragon with a pocket knife? My friends, you need to put on the whole armor of God. You need to actively put on the shield of faith. You need to take the breastplate of righteousness. You need to arm yourself with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, prepare for battle. You need to put on prayer in the supplication of the Spirit every single day. Remember who you're dealing with. Remember the strength of your enemy. Secondly, be mindful of the deceitfulness of your own heart. For you younger Christians, you may not have learned it yet, and even some of you older might not realize it yet, but your heart will lie to you. Your heart will say, oh, you're fine. Don't don't worry. You're so strong. I can't believe how much Bible you know. You're strong. You can handle this. You can take care of this. My friends, if you haven't, commit Jeremiah 17, 9 to memory. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Remember the strength of your enemy Remember the deceitfulness of your own heart. And thirdly and most importantly, never forget your need of the intercession of Christ. Don't follow Peter's example, but learn from his failures. There was a book that Matthew Henry wrote, and I don't think it's in print now, but I want to say it was called The Secret of Communion. And it basically boiled down to this, how to begin the day with God, how to continue the day with God, and how to end the day with God. And my friends, that's what we need. We need Christ. We need to call upon his name. We need to say, Lord Jesus, be my rock, be my fortress, be my salvation, be my my strength and my deliverer. We need to begin every day, throughout the day. We need to be calling on the name of the Lord. At the end of the day, we need to commit ourselves afresh to the grace and power of our Savior. 
I want to close this morning by reading the second verse of Charles Wesley's hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Very suited to a passage this morning. Listen to the words. It's number 508 in your hymnal if you want to look at it. Verse 2 of Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Lord, cover my defenseless head with the shadow of your wing. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. My friends, you can put your name at the first part of that clause. And you can also take the promise, though Satan desires to sift you like wheat, our Savior, says, don't be afraid. I am with you. And I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And what he prays for, he gets. Let's pray together. Father, When we look at these words, we are so painfully reminded of our own weakness and failure and lack of strength. But Lord, how we praise you for the hope and the assurance and the comfort that you give by praying for us that we will not fail. We thank you and we pray that you would use this passage to strengthen your children here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment and meditate, pray over the things we've heard.